Good morning. Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. Welcome as well to those joining us online and down in our uh, F3 service. Hey, happy Super Bowl Sunday, everybody. Uh, the National Football League is coming to a close this year uh, with the most viewed television program uh, in the United States. I'm sure people in here probably range from being serious NFL fans or followers, uh, chips and dip all ready to go at home, uh, all the way to ranging to not caring at all uh, about watching grown men tackle each other for lots of money. Uh, some fans wait in eager anticipation uh, to see if their team uh, can become a champion. Uh, others, like myself, are in mourning for their team has never been farther from the championship than they are right now. Uh, perhaps it's primarily the male mind uh, or what's left of it that finds it so appealing. I think it can be uh, pretty fun to watch. Uh, I personally actually wanted to host uh, a Super Bowl party this year. My severely pregnant wife did not. So we decided to compromise and we will not be hosting a Super Bowl party <laughs> this year. Uh, I've only been married two years, but I have learned that if a, a pregnant woman says it, probably best uh, to lead in that direction if possible. Uh, the reason I mention the Super Bowl is not just because it's today, but it's also a, a fascinating case study because so many people end up in community behind closed doors around this thing. All those football stadiums are empty, except for one, as the masses instead gather in their own homes uh, to watch what happens. And we all know the, the game develops and the, the commercials show us new products and ideas ranging from luxurious to ludicrous. And there's a lot of wild statistics about what this, this Super Bowl event does to the U.S. economy, about what it does to culture. But whether it's over a commercial or simply a conversation, there, there will be a lot of developments happening in American homes uh, this evening. Uh, what we're going to see this morning includes some pretty crazy developments in a similar setting. Uh, we're going to see God work in the homes of a, a couple people, places necessarily we wouldn't expect uh, Him to, to work in. So take your Bibles and turn with me to the end of Acts chapter 9. Uh, Acts chapter 9, we're going to finish that chapter this morning. And as you're turning there, I just want to briefly remind you uh, of the unique placement of the book of Acts in our Bibles. We, we find ourselves between the, the Gospels and the Epistles. So the Gospels, or four portraits, one Jesus, uh, as Mark Strauss would put it in my latest seminary textbook, the Gospels detail the life uh, of Jesus, eyewitness accounts uh, of the very point and purpose of the whole Bible, this man named Jesus. And on the other side, we have the epistles, groups of, of letters written to churches and churched people. And these letters detail things such as church structure, uh, identity truths, uh, who, who we are in Christ, walking by the Spirit, and a lot more. And so between the two, we have Acts. This is neither a, a gospel account or an epistle, but instead it's a narrative and there's a great strength to that because as we learn what happened, we have both ends of the book that can help inform uh, the text as we study it. We often marry what we read in Acts with what we can find prescribed to the church uh, in the New Testament. 
Meaning, if you really want the application uh, of the book of Acts and, and what we've continued to read in this series, I'd encourage you to just keep reading your Bible, because as the New Testament unfolds, we get to see what that application looked like in the lives of a lot of different churches. But the point of the Gospels being brought into uh, the equation as well is, how does this all fit together? We, we don't want the Bible to come across as this confusing, old, disjointed book, because that's by no means the case. God's story is unfolding. Let's read together uh, and hear a little bit of that story, starting in verse 32. A lot happens here. Acts 9, 32 says this. Now, as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he also came down to the saints who lived at Leda. There he found a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden for eight years because he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your own bed. Immediately he got up. And all who lived at Leda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Verse 36, now in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated to Greek means Dorcas. This woman was excelling in acts of kindness and charity. It says she did this habitually. But it happened at that time that she became sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upstairs room. And since Leda was near Joppa, the disciples... Having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, do not delay in coming to us. So Peter got ready and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the room upstairs, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand, raised her up, called the saints and the widows back in. He presented her alive. And it became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And the chapter ends clarifying that Peter stayed in Joppa many days with a tanner named Simon. We're going to see this morning that God's Spirit is unleashed in such a way to work in the hearts and homes of those who love Him. Take a look briefly uh, at what happened right before our passage that enabled these two tremendous accounts to occur. Look at Acts 9 verse 31. This is where we ended last week. It says, so the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed peace as it was being built up, and specifically as it continued in two things, the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it kept increasing. That's where we're at when these two encounters occur. I love that over the past several weeks, Tim and, and Mark have tackled so many passages and acts that have dealt with persecution, selfishness, martyrdom, uh, and I get another one where, where the church is unleashed uh, and great things happen. Tim mentioned last week that there are ebbs and flows to, to church history. There are peaks and valleys to, to what God's uh, body of believers is doing as far as the persecution and, and the movement of the Spirit. So this is the reason the church was unleashed so well and growing. We learned earlier in this chapter that uh, pre-Paul Saul, 
he has been converted uh, and has started sharing the love of Christ. That's big because that's enemy numero uno for God's church. He's gone from persecuting to preaching. There's a simple cause and effect there, and that is the, the church is unleashed because up until that point, there was a, a, a balloon of difficulty and oppression on, on, the, on the triumph of the gospel, the growth of the gospel. And that balloon popped when God grabbed Saul's heart. So what we're reading is the triumph of the gospel. Specifically, I think Luke shows us uh, three ways that God worked uh, that are worth discussing. And these, these are woven all throughout the whole passage. Your sermon notes reflect this. So we're going to revisit the passage here in a second. And first we see that God works in homes. God works in homes. Follow along with me uh, and, and picture the, the setting of these accounts. Uh, this is a, a transition in, in the text, the book of Acts, where it's not just a, a geographical update to help us understand where we're at, but but the specific environment in which God works really starts to, to factor in. So we're going to read this and unpack it a little bit with homes in mind. And we're going to see the, the proximity of the gospel's triumph. Look at verse 32 again. Now as Peter was already traveling through all those regions, he also came down to the saints who lived at Leda. So Peter was already working for God. We haven't heard from him in a little bit. But we know what those regions were based on verse 31 and the, the spread of the gospel, the church unleashed. So it says he comes down to the saints, which are the, the believers, people that belong to God who are living very much in Leda. And that's where he found a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden for eight years because he was paralyzed. And Luke summarizes this encounter very quickly in just a couple verses. So verse 34, Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your own bed. And immediately he got up. And all who lived at Leda and Sharon, which is the, the broader term of, of the region, all who lived there saw him, this risen Aeneas, and they turned to the Lord. That's the end of the, the first encounter. Luke immediately clarifies where Peter goes next. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, and this woman was excelling in acts of kindness and charity, which she did habitually. So we get to know a bit of her character, a bit of her heart. But it happened at that time, while all this is going on in Leda, that she became sick and died. And when they, it's the first use of this, this inclusion of another group, when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upstairs room. And since Leda was near Joppa, the disciples who heard Peter was there, they sent two message men to him, urging him, do not delay in coming to us. So what did Peter do? Verse 39, he got ready and went with them. And when he arrived, they brought him right into the room upstairs where she was. All the widows stood beside him. So the community has gathered in this intimate setting around this event. And the widows are, are weeping. They're, they're showing all the, the things uh, Tabitha uh, used to make while she was with them. But Peter instead sends them out. He kneels down and prays and turns to the body and says, Tabitha, arise, uses her original Aramaic name. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand. He raised her up. He calls the community, the body, back in and presents her alive and here's the consequence. We've heard something like this before already in this passage. 
it became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. God works in mighty ways, uh, and He often chooses to do it in the context of our homes. A couple years back, uh, I had a particularly eventful day in ministry. Uh, I say that in a good way. Everything we wanted to get done uh, in youth ministry got done. Um, and I don't know about you, but, but after a long day, for, for me, going home uh, has always been so important to me. There's always this, this therapeutic sigh of relief. Uh, I'm ready to be unplugged. Uh, I'm ready to talk to nobody. Uh, I'm ready for rest uh, and to not be involved. Uh, to be quite honest with you, at this time, I was going home and I was eager to not be used by the Lord. Uh, that, that, that was the, the heart of the matter. Um, so like most times when we're going through something like that, uh, the doorbell rings. Uh, and I, I see at least a handful of young people in the room this morning. Uh, I don't know if you know this, people my age and younger, we don't like doorbells. Uh, if we're not expecting a package and that thing goes off, I mean, we're sooner to hit the deck than we are to wander to the door and see who's here. People my age, the doorbell rings, we check our phone. Who, who wants us and what's happening? So I go on over to my door. I'm like, what in the world's going on? Uh, and my two neighbors, uh, the sweetest ladies in Winchester City Limits, uh, Linda and Ina, uh, are standing there. And they say, hey, Caleb, you're, you're a minister, right? And I said, I'm in ministry? Yeah, what's up? Uh, I, I had a previous relationship with my neighbors over the last couple of years. They're awesome. And they said, would you be able to help us with this? Uh, and they showed us a, a bunch of, they showed me a bunch of uh, basically spam mail that they had been getting over and over and they had been interacting with over the last couple of weeks. And they said, we were wondering if you could help us with this. And we were also just wondering if you could pray for us. So I had an opportunity to meet them in that. I, I got to pray for them and with them. I got to talk them through a little bit of what they were seeing in the mail and how we could best move forward. It was a cool moment, and, and the reason I'm sharing it is uh, not only was I, I not prepared to have it, but it was the, the heart posture I had was worse than that. Uh, I had prepared myself not to have that kind of interaction, uh, and the Lord met me in the context of my home. Linda and Ina, they have never set foot on this campus. Uh, they know uh, Caleb from across the street. He works at the church with a big green roof. Uh, that's as close as they've gotten. But uh, the relationship has been built there, and, and God loves them. Uh, and I got to see God move in my neighborhood that day. God works in the context of our, our homes, our neighborhoods. Uh, in our passage, we have Aeneas and Leda and Tabitha and Joppa, a very noun-heavy passage. On one hand, paralysis. On the other hand, flat-out death. But in both cases, this is homebound learning that is about to take place. God is working within the intimacy of community and homes. Uh, what do we know about Leda? Uh, if you want to look at this picture here briefly, uh, Leda established itself uh, as, as a trade route due to its position between so many other major cities. That includes uh, Jerusalem that's out of this picture to the southeast. Uh, this town stood on the major road between Babylon and Egypt uh, and near its intersection with Joppa to the west. So its position on these major roads of commerce meant a lot of trade. Basically, this town was happening, and it also happened to be full of the Spirit. 
within that town, there were the saints, the, the believers. This passage tells us that it's a direct inroad to where they worked, lived, and played. We know this because of the nature of verses 32 through 35. What happens? Read it again because the whole encounter is pretty short. And what's the, what's the order of events here? As Peter was traveling through all those regions, we just got a frame of reference for that, he also came down to the saints who lived at Leda, and there he found a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden for eight years because he was paralyzed. That was his reputation. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your own bed. And immediately he got up. And then all who lived at Leda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Luke summarizes this very quickly. But what happened? Well, look at Peter. He visited a body of believers that already lived there. That's where he came across Aeneas, immobile and in need. And the cool part about that is, was this some sort of uh, spiritual temple experience? Did, did Peter receive a, a, a financial stipend to, to come speak at a, at a Christian leader conference and, and execute an awakening of sorts so that this, this miracle could occur? No. This happened at home. God moved in. And look at verse 35, because that's your winner. All who lived there saw him, the risen Aeneas, and they turned to the Lord. There's something uh, about seeing somebody risen that is otherwise supposed to be down that brings you face to face with who God is. God works in homes. This is the, the proximity of the gospel's triumph in that area. So the question is, is that also true for Joppa? Look at verses 40 through 42. This is the, the end of our second encounter. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw him, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. He calls the saints and widows back in. And he presents her alive. And look at 42. It became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Gracious day. Here's Joppa, by the way. You might have seen it in that uh, last picture. Joppa happened to be an even bigger trading port, uh, instead right by the water. Now, now Joppa has actually popped up before, uh, biblically speaking, uh, in the Old Testament. This is where Jonah uh, actually fled from the Lord initially. So you might recall the story of Jonah and the whale. Jonah chapter 1 verse 3 mentions this is where he goes uh, to catch a, uh, a ship in the exact opposite direction of the way God wants to take him. I truly believe our God may enjoy irony because here he is working in that very town. Joppa is 10 miles uh, from Leda, by the way. This is all Israel. Specifically, uh, Joppa is now called Jaffa, and it's in modern-day Tel Aviv. But it's 10 miles uh, between the, the two towns. So in our passage, uh, Peter is traveling the same distance from where you're sitting right now uh, to Middletown, Virginia. As the crow flies, 10 miles. Puts it in perspective a little bit, the, the, the triumph of the gospel and the, the proximity of what is happening. It also tells us a little bit about Peter's posture towards this kind of work. You see, so many people think God only works in the holiest of sanctuaries. That, that, that's where you have to go to get to him. It's an outdated model. God works in the homes of saints. And by the way, this is cool. Saul, earlier in Acts, knew this. 
Because back when he was seeking to destroy the church, Acts 8.3, look at this with me briefly, says he ravaged the church by doing what? Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Seems to me if you want to make a difference, you do it at home. He wasn't traveling temple to temple. He was traveling home to home. A couple weeks back, Tim described the, the heart posture of Saul and, and basically how much of a, a heavy hitter he was, craving the end of the church, and the tactic and strategy was to go to where they lived, to invade. That brings us uh, to the second thing I, I think Luke is focusing on in this passage, and that is God works in hearts. God works in hearts. What do we see uh, regarding the hearts, the true inner motives of these people. Let's look at a handful of verses here, starting in verse 34. Forget the location, forget the environment. Let's read with with hearts and minds. Think about the people. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your own bed. And immediately he got up. Skip down to 36. Now in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha. We get to learn her heart. This woman was excelling in acts of kindness and charity, which she did habitually, so much so that her death meant the the rallying behind her. The disciples, having heard that Peter was nearby, sent two men to him, urging him, do not delay in coming to us. So Peter got ready and went with him. We've talked about the the proximity uh, of the gospel's triumph in this passage. Here's the personalization. Peter mentions Christ's name so that the truth of the matter would be clear. Several years back when I was in the the thick of high school research papers, uh, I submitted one that I felt very good about. Uh, The content was solid. Uh, The format was pristine. I was so excited uh, to get the wonderful feedback from my teacher. I got a horrible grade. Uh, My teacher gives it back to me, basically ungraded. That's how you know it's bad when they don't even waste red ink. They just give it right back to you. Uh, She said, you need to resubmit this after you cite your sources. I forgot to cite a single one. No works cited, no bibliography, no footnotes. The English teachers in the room are squirming in their chairs when I say that. Uh, Basically, my teacher was saying, brother, I can tell this ain't you. You better give credit where it's due. Peter cites his sources here as this, this thing is happening. He makes it clear that Christ is on the move, so much so that that word spreads from that encounter in Leda to the ears of those near Tabitha. And we get to learn a little bit about her heart. This woman excelled in acts of kindness and charity. I, I can't imagine what it would take for someone to describe me that way. I don't think they would right now. It's very compelling. It means there's a, a habitual nature to her good works. And by the way, these are works that were never about putting her in a good place with God. Jesus takes care of that. But they did end up putting her in a, in a good place with the people around her, so much so that they rallied around her. Tabitha dying wasn't just a, a personal tragedy. It was a blow to morale. She was a, a force for good. She was immediately missed, wholeheartedly loved. With that, though, she was seemingly a, a, a stranger to Peter. Verse 39 is, is worth thinking about, if you want to look at it with me, because 
If I was doing God's work in Winchester when two men came up to me and said, hey, you better get down to Middletown. Uh, One of our favorite people just died. I'd like to think uh, I'd say, all right, let's do it. I'd like to think I'd get ready and go with them the way the, the passage tells us. I'm not so sure if I would. I mean, of all opportunities to say, yeah, I'm kind of busy. Maybe I'll swing down there when I can. Or, hey, can, can you guys just try and handle it? These, these are two men coming to Peter, not the disciples. They're, they're message men. You have disciples there? Great. Have them work on it. He could, have, he could have said any number of these things. Instead, without delay, we get to learn about Peter's heart. There's an on-to-the-next mentality. His life isn't even his anymore. God's working through the heart of Peter to bring back another heart that belongs to his body that was otherwise serving wonderfully in his church. Well, what does that mean? For Peter, this was personal. He didn't really see these people as strangers. It wasn't an obligation. It was another opportunity. The family was in need. Those are our, our two encounters, Aeneas and Tabitha. God works in homes, specifically God works in hearts. Sprinkled throughout this passage, though, and certainly not capable of happening otherwise. I think there's a third and final point this passage brings to us. Uh, We're not even going to end in Acts this morning. We're going to go somewhere else. But that is the the power and presence of Jesus. God works in him. God works in him. First of all, Peter does a work in this, this Christ's name, verse 34. Now, if Peter said, I heal you, uh, I think the story would have stopped there. I think Peter <laughs> might have stopped there. But instead, he gets continued exposure to what God is doing, and he continues to participate in God's plan because he's given credit where it's due. And that means Peter's not the one. He just knows the one, this man Jesus. Acts is a, a narrative, folks. It gives us things like the, the proximity of the gospel's triumph as, as God moved in homes. It gives us the personalization of the gospel as God moves in hearts, making those homely interactions worthwhile. Ultimately, though, though God is working through him, this Jesus, the, the perfection of the gospel's triumph. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, Turn back into the Gospels with me to Mark chapter 5. I mentioned earlier where Acts falls in the Bible. Just turn back a couple books. I love uh, going forward into the epistles. One of my favorite things to do. We can learn a lot about Paul and his writings in the early church. The New Testament does a great job of addressing so many of our questions. What's next? What do I do here? That's New Testament stuff. It's also applicable, though, uh, to go back to the Gospels. And I want to look uh, at Mark 5 here, starting in verse 35. And let's see if we catch any similarities between this Jesus encounter and the one we've, we've studied this morning. Mark 5, 35 starts like this. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of, of Jairus, or the house of the synagogue leader, and they told him, your daughter is dead Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Verse 37, 
He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? This child is not dead, but asleep. Verse 40, so they laughed at him for saying that. After he then put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Koam, which literally translated means little girl, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. And the Bible goes so far as to specify she was about 12 years old. You can picture this happening. At this, they were completely astonished. And here's how this passage ended. Verse 43, Jesus gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And instead, give her something to eat. God works in him. Peter gets a first-hand account of what something like this looks like. People that participate in the body of Christ, Peter, later on, coming across against this, this passage, he's not winging it. He's not, well, what in the world do I do with a dead person? He knows. He has an experience, a hands-on mentor. And that Jesus, he's up against it, by the way, here in this encounter. You have people laughing at him, suggesting he's too far gone for suggesting something can happen. And you also have a, another cultural difference between the way this, these people handled this compared to Acts 9. The passage we read earlier has godly people mourning and, and wishing for Tabitha to come back to life to the point where they're recruiting Somebody who they know 10 miles away is doing great things in Jesus' name. Here, in Mark 5, you have a commotion of people crying, wailing loudly, totally lost in hope, basically embracing a culture of, of synagogue death and the tradition over a dead body. And then there's Jesus, who approaches it much differently. He brings people in. He positively implicates those in what he was about to do including Peter, James, and John. Men, by the way, who went on to be not as clueless to what Jesus was doing and what God was up to because of their walk with him. They had a great mentor. Ministry is simplified when we mimic Jesus. We have it. We can learn about the guy. We can see what he did and what he said. We can see how the people around him acted. Ministry simplified when we mimic Jesus. That was true for apostles, capable of mighty deeds and the, the wild unfolding of Acts narrative. It's also true for us when we understand how Jesus lived and how he calls us to also be a, a beacon of, of light. We can be truth to those around us. Jesus would say in another gospel account, Matthew, we don't have time to go there, he would say, be salt and light. It's how God has called us to operate, and that's for our benefit and the benefit of those around us. The cool part about us being participants in God's plan is, remember, our Jesus is capable of anything and everything. He could have stuck around uh, post-resurrection. You understand that? Jesus could have risen from the dead and said, now follow me, as he marched the earth like a superhero, conquering everybody for God. 
Instead, our Jesus said, follow me, and then went the one direction we can't follow him. Well, what does that mean? Did our God leave us high and dry? No, the the Spirit has been given. Jesus ended his encounter in the Gospels after he did a marvelous thing. Here's how he ended it. He said, no, don't tell anybody. It's not time yet. But in Acts, one of the top trade exports in Lida and Joppa was the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church was unleashed. It was the word on the street. God's Spirit has been unleashed in such a way to work in the hearts and homes of those who love Him. Here's uh, three applications. Knowing what we know about Acts 9 and and Mark 5 uh, that I think we can all faithfully work towards uh, as we leave here. Here's the first one. Live in a trading port for the gospel. And to be clear, I'm not asking you to move. If anything, I'm asking you to stay. In Acts 9, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, became a primary export for trade in Lida and Joppa. All of them, everybody around that, that got to see these encounters came to know the Lord. Peter, as, as we'll learn uh, in a few weeks, he, he lives with, with Simon the Tanner, this, this leather maker, in that trading port by the sea. And what that does is it enables both of them to participate in God's plan. Uh, that's why Luke included this update on Peter's story, kind of right in the middle of Saul's character arc, because he's about to be used in mighty ways in Acts chapter 10. Uh, But we can read this and understand we can treat our homes, our neighborhoods as such. Live in a trading port for the gospel. God moved through Lita and Joppa. I know God's moving through Winchester and Middletown. But I also know uh, our God is capable of moving in Stonebrook, Canner Estates, Alban Village, Lake Holiday, downtown Winchester. I know God's capable in working in Creekside, Kernstown, Sunnyside, Cedar Grove, Frederick Heights. If your mailbox is within a stone's throw of somebody else's, the bridge has been built, my friend. We can participate in what God is doing. Do we know what that's like to have a a Tabitha in our lives? Do we know what it's like to, to be one? Wherever God has placed us, Just because we leave our shoes at the door when we get home doesn't mean we need to leave Jesus there too. I think if we're not careful, some of us uh, leave Jesus in this parking lot as we leave here. Yeah, I'll, I'll go back to church again when I'm running on empty. But we ought to be invested in a, a spiritual reservoir so that we are prepared for what's to come. That's why I appreciated what Marlon said earlier about being a part of the body of Christ and gathering together in this assembly for worship, for prayer, for teaching. But make no mistake, we're not in the business of your spiritual well-being while we're in this room. We're invested in our spiritual well-being as we leave here and we be beacons of light. I work with many teens and, and a lot of your kids downstairs. Did you know uh, they can learn uh, more about God based on how you handle yourself in the car on the way home than they did in class? We, we teach the word to them. We tell them who God is and how much he loves them. We give them things to think about. 
But literally, when that rubber meets the road, we get to see who God is in every facet of our life. This evening is going to be a, a great example of that. Maybe, maybe you're hosting uh, a Super Bowl party or, or going to one. Uh, maybe you're hours away from going into hospitality mode. What would it look like for somebody to leave a Super Bowl party, not just saying the food was great, uh, the game was awesome, the commercials were funny, but also say, man, you could, you could tell that household loves the Lord. What would it look like for the, the Sunday morning volunteers, the, the biblical training center teachers and attendees to, to have our radar up for God moving as we leave here? There, there's no such thing as an off-the-clock Christian. I've learned that tons of times. I'll probably continue to. But we can participate. Here's the second thing. Treat unmet needs as godly opportunities. Luke brings that out, and the reason I say that is I think it's easy to serve God when we decide to, but not when the circumstances around us are craving it. What are some neighborhood interactions? Or even within the home, what are some sibling scenarios that have cropped up in your life that could very well be an opportunity to shed some light in what otherwise is a, a growing shadow. We know how easy it is to, to stay in our zone and ignore what's going on around us. What would it look like not to? To be aware of that family friend or that community group member that has recently lost a loved one. Do we know anybody that had a home with a Tabitha that's now a, a house with, uh, full of silence and grief? Who do we know, whether they belong to the body of Christ or not, that we can lovingly serve? We can see those unmet needs as godly opportunities. That's certainly what Peter did. Here's the third thing. Point people to Christ as we're doing this. He's what we're about. He's what this is about. And he ought to be what our homes are about. For the, the struggling parents who will, in just a few minutes, be buckling in four and a half kids into their messy van, I want them to know their job's not to be perfect parents, but they have the opportunity to teach those kids about a perfect God. We can all do this with our life. We can point people to Christ and make Him the priority. This Jesus, a, a God who loved us so much, He sent His Son to die for us. Jesus died for the, the child growing up who doesn't yet realize the battles he or she will be up against. Jesus died for the, the mother or father who right now couldn't be more aware of the battle if he tried. All of us need him. Hours from now, millions upon millions of people will be gathered in their homes for, for various forms of fellowship and community. Children in these homes will be watching commercials and deciding that message's impact on their worldview. All of them, homes full of brokenness, yeah, yet all of them, homes full of potential, possibility for God to move. We can see where we live, our homes, our apartment complexes, as grounds for ministry. Acts 9 shows us this is what God is capable of doing. That's what he's made us capable of doing. And while we cannot speak life into existence for somebody who has passed away, we can speak life into somebody who is experiencing the
the wages of sin. Somebody who is experiencing death, radical separation from God in some form or another. As we leave here, my encouragement is, may our homes and streets be filled with joy. May our light shine in the darkness because that darkness is growing and it's getting louder. And we have the opportunity for God's message, God's word to ring louder than anybody else's. How do we do it? Well, praise God that his spirit has been unleashed in such a way to work in the hearts and homes of those who love him. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you that you've given us your word uh, to preach and teach from. God, thank you that my job is not to deliver the perfect message, but just to talk about a perfect God. Thank you that um, I can get out of your way, that we can hear from your scripture, your, your divine inspired words that, that share a little bit about our church history. God, thank you for giving us the opportunity to live in the Holy Spirit era where we get to see you move. And God, I simply pray that you would. I pray that you would stir in our hearts this morning, that our homes would be beacons of light, grounds for truth, and that we would love you more and seek you more as we leave here than when we first arrived. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.